Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. You guys look good. Uh, we apologize for the technical difficulties. I don't know. It's just, I thought it'd be a really great idea for me to, uh, to do my Bible on the iPad this morning, and that went down, too. So, I, what, can I blame it on the devil? Is that okay? All these technical difficulties? Is that the principality of the air? Can we do that? But yeah, sorry about the words, and you know we got good people working on it, but it happens. So, anyway, good good morning, and uh, tell you what, let's uh, let's uh, do the announcements before we get going here. Fall into fun, which is our Halloween alternative, is coming up, and I'm really excited about this one. It's um, when I was a kid. Um, I didn't like Halloween. I actually wouldn't go to school on Halloween because all the kids wore scary costumes. And so, uh, but I did like dressing up and I did like, you know, the candy and the trick-or-treating and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I, I had this little, you know, problem with Halloween. And then I got, you know, after getting into the ministry in a while, I, I learned that Halloween means All Hallows' Eve or a holy day. And the purpose for the festival, for the holiday, was to honor and, and uh, remember past saints, past holy people. And it, that was the purpose of it. They would dress up like saints and honor saints, which I think is a really cool thing. So it was a great, it was a great festival, and the world just kind of took it and twisted it and warped it. So... Um, I don't really mind Halloween anymore. It doesn't bother me. Actually, I'm excited about it, and it's fun. And so uh, maybe someday we'll change the name to, from Fall into Fun to Granite Creek's Halloween Party. I don't know. We'll, I don't know if we'll get that far yet. But um, it's, if you haven't been to it, we, we, we turn the whole South Lawn into this big harvest festival, and we'll have lots of little game booths, and we'll have pony rides and petting zoo. And I got this really big, giant, obnoxious bounce house thing that's like a 20-foot-tall gladiator. It's, gonna, it's really cool. And, you know, just a lot of things for your kids. Um, so I want to encourage you to come. And I also encourage you to bring candy. So this is, we're on the candy drive. And I got to tell you, you guys are doing great. Because it's already, the candy is already flowing in right now. And it's really exciting for us. Because usually we, we're, 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 like, begging you to... To get us candy, but it's coming in. So thank you so much for already bringing it in. It's, it's awesome. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll, you can leave it in the atrium, or you can you know go to Vaughn's, come back, and you know leave it somewhere, and then we'll put it where it's cool and doesn't melt. But it's getting cooler now, isn't that nice? I know. Thank God. Um, so Fall into Fun's coming up on the 31st at uh, five o'clock. There's also going to be a costume contest, and even for your pets. So. Dress your pet up. There'll be prizes, too. Uh, next week is kind of a big day. Uh, next Sunday is a big day. We have a couple of things going on. We have our all-church family meeting. So if you serve on any level, from uh, teaching to set up and tear down to whatever, if you're involved at any level at the church, uh, if, you just, if you call Granite Creek your church family, we want to highly encourage you to come next week at 6 o'clock. The meeting is for you. We, it's geared and, and meant to empower you, to, to 
get you juiced up, to get you going. Uh, there's a little training, there's a little teaching, there's going to be some worship, and it's, it, the, the meeting is for you. So I want to encourage you to come to that. And again, if you, you want to consider Granite Creek, your church family, when it, you're invited to come as well. And you'll get to know what's going on in the church and the vision and the direction, so on and so forth. If you're around the church, you know, and you're, you're somewhat new, or maybe you've been coming for five years, and you want to make the church Granite Creek your home family, uh, we have a 101 class next week during first service. You can sign up for that. And that's just an introduction to our church. It's our informal uh, membership class. We don't have a formal membership. So you can come to this, and you'll know what our values are. You'll know what we believe. Uh, you can ask us, any, you can ask the pastors any questions you want about the church, and I want to invite you to that. It's just a good way to get to, get to know you and get plugged in. All right, I think that's it for now. You can read the bulletin for all the other things that are going on. There's a lot of exciting things going on in our church, and, uh, and we'll get going on that. All right, um, today's topic, uh, we're in a series on plugging in, and this month we're going to be talking about plugging into the Holy Spirit, plugging into the supernatural. All right, whether you like it or not, we serve a supernatural God, and he does supernatural things. And so uh, he wants us to access the supernatural. He wants us to, anything that is God, God being beyond nature, he created the natural world. But there's another, there's another world and there's another realm. It's called the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And he wants us to tap into it. He wants us to access it. That's why Jesus came. And so we're going to be talking about plugging into the supernatural areas of God. And, and in order for to, us to really do that and do it correctly, there's a, there's a key term that we have to understand, be able to define, able to recognize, feel it, we have to know what holiness is. We sung a bunch of songs about God being holy a few seconds ago, but we got to be able to define it. We got to be able to get it on us, got to be able to roll around in it. Holiness is, is this key concept for uh, understanding what the supernatural is, tapping into it, uh, being able to be in God's presence. And uh, we'll, we'll take a good look at it today. All right. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you guys could all stand. Do we have scripture going on the screens, by the way? No? All right. I hope you brought your Bibles today because there's no Bible on the screen. If you could stand with me for a second, and we're going to read the scriptures. Okay, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. And we're going to read this together. And if you don't have a Bible and the screen's not up, just move your mouth. Just pretend like you're saying something. No one's going to notice, I promise. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Did you guys get there? All right, here we go. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Make level the paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Here's the tough one. Without holiness, no one 
can see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows. Father, we just thank you for this time together as a church family. We thank you for the word of God that is alive and breathing inside of us. And may we just take hold of what your scripture says to us today. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear your glorious word. May it truly transform our lives, every, every aspect of our life. And I pray that we will just recognize your presence today. Amen. All right, have a seat. All right, what a great scripture, huh? This scripture, I picked it because it's going to dovetail nicely into what Mako talked about last week. She talked about relationships, being in these tough conversations with people, and the area of forgiveness. And it was a powerful message. I highly encourage you to get it. It was, what was the title? It was titled, Get Angry, right? So how do you deal with anger? It was a great message. So it's online, it's a, and I want to encourage you to get it. But her, her whole point is, is that we've got, to, we've got to be nice to each other. We've got to be able to talk things out as believers, as family members, as Christians. You just can't stick your head in the sand. And it is okay to get angry if it's done the right way. It's okay to be upset about something if you can articulate it in a healthy way without destroying somebody. So it was a good message. And um, this verse is key to it because it's, you know, it talks about the area of living in peace, right? We, regardless of what things we're going through, regardless of what issues that you are going through in your life with inside of your own family, uh, it, the scriptures are clear. You have to maintain peace. You have to be peacemakers, right? And peace is key. And then he goes into and he says, and be holy. So this area of maintaining peace and holiness is key and crucial. They're, they're intimately related. And then he says something that should have made everybody shift in their chair or squirm a little bit when we read it. And he said, unless you are holy, you can't see God. Unless you're holy. Unless there's, if the, without holiness, there's no being in God's presence. I could even take it a little bit further. Without holiness, you're not going to heaven. So it's kind of a big deal, right? Don't you want to understand what holiness is? So this is what we're going to do today. In order to value God's presence, we really need to know what holiness is. And that's, we're going to look into it. We're going to break it apart and define it. All right, in short, the short definition of holiness is, is set apart. It's, it's sacred. Uh, the, you know, holy is, is, the old English, is an old English word. It's related to a Latin word, the, the santos, sanctified. So those two words are basically the same thing. So sanctified and holy are the same thing. A holy man and a saint, they're the same thing. You guys tracking with me on that? Okay, so, but the, the, the short definition of it is set apart. And God is holy. He is completely set apart from nature. He is 
what I said, he is supernatural. He is beyond nature. That's the definition of supernatural. It, that's the definition of metaphysics, by the way, is beyond nature. So God is, he is supernatural. God is holy. And anything that is holy emanates from him. All holiness comes from God. It doesn't come from other sources. Uh, it doesn't come from me. I, I can't manufacture holiness. I, uh, angels can't manufacture holiness. It, is, it comes from God. It is his essence. It's his being. It comes from him. Okay? So that's where it comes from. And it is this area of being set apart. All right? First time the word holy is used in the Bibles is in Genesis chapter 2. And you got a little outline if you can follow along there if you want to. If you just want to listen, that's cool too. But in Genesis chapter 2, it says, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then blah, blah, blah. And then on the seventh day, God created the seventh day and he rested and he made the day holy. He made that day holy. It's the first time holy is ever used in the Bible. What's it relating to? It's relating to time. It's relating to a 24-hour chunk of time. That is the thing that he decided to make holy, to separate it. God didn't need to rest. He's, just, he's modeling this for us. This, this area of time, of giving time, is, is so key to God that he made it the first thing that he did. Now, you just might think, oh, well, I thought God was after my money. No, he's after your time. We've got, um, you know, read the Bible, you know, you're supposed to give 10% of your income to God. You're supposed to set apart that amount to God. That's, you know, 10%. Okay, well, let's, uh, we can do that. Um, so he wants one-tenth of your, of your provision. It's not yours anyway. Everything comes from the Lord, right? So every dime that you have is not technically yours. It's God's. He's just letting you use it. And the whole purpose of giving it back is that you recognize that God is letting you use his money. So that's the, that's the whole idea behind it. But this issue of time, he wants more time than he does if he wants more of your money. He wants one-tenth of, of, of the income to show that he, he owns it, but he also wants one-seventh. One-seventh of your time. And the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, really grasped onto this. They called it the Sabbath. It was their church day. They did it on Saturday. And they took it to extremes. I don't know if I want to say extremes, but they took it very seriously, this day of rest. I mean, these, don't get me wrong. These people worked hard all day long, from dusk to dawn. They worked their fingers to the bone six days a week. On the seventh day, they didn't do a thing. They didn't turn the light switch on. They didn't cook food. They, their animals didn't even, their animals had to take a break. They didn't do a thing. They completely set that time apart, that day apart, and they consecrated it and they made it holy. They spent that time with God. Not even work got in the way. And this is a difficult topic for me to talk about because how many people are stressed out about how much time they have in their life? and you've got to cram everything in. It's like after church, I'm hitting the grocery store and I'm buying food because I gotta get ready for the week to come or this is the only time that I got to mow the yard. And so you're, it's tough, huh? 
I mean, I know we're not under the old law, but the, the spiritual principle is the same. God wants our time. And I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily give him the time that he deserves. Here's my confession for the day. It's always fun preparing for messages. You get convicted. All right, so holiness can be a time or an event. Next one. Holiness is found or can be found in a place. Holiness can be found in a place. All right, so you've all heard the term holy land, right? Where's the holy land? It's in Israel, the whole country, that, that, that strip of country that's between Egypt and, and Syria. That is holy land. For some reason, God decided, I'm going to take that piece of real estate and I'm going to consecrate it. I'm going to set it apart from the rest of the planet. I mean, I know we have other holy places on the planet, I guess. Uh, I mean, but as far as the Bible goes, that's it. I don't know, maybe you think Santa Fe is holy, I don't know, or um, Tibet or something. But, um, but as far as what we're reading here, it, the Holy Land is Israel. That geographical area, that little strip of land called the Levant that so many people have gone back and forth on. It's a beautiful place, and it's holy. Not only is that country holy, but then you shrink it down into what? What's the next step down from that country? It's the holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. So it gets even more intense and concentrated as, he, as God says, okay, this is going to be a holy land, but then there's this holy city. And this is this concentration of holiness that, that falls into the city. And to even boil it down a little bit further inside of the city, well, it's not there right now, but you have the temple. Okay, so this is God's hierarchy of holy places. And it's important to God. I actually have this weird concept or idea that, you know, the four acres that we're on right now is holy ground on this corner of Claremont, California. It's, did you know that this place has always been a church? I mean, obviously, this is not a church building. It's a big, giant, black office building. Uh, but it, it went bankrupt right after it was built. There were supposed to be three of these. And the founding pastor bought this place at a sweetheart deal. It's always been a church. And we consecrated it, and we made it holy. There was a spiritual battle to even get this piece of property. The witches were after us. I'm dead serious. They didn't want us to get it. So this is, in my mind's eye, this is holy ground. This is how God operates, right? It might, that's what the Bible says. Uh, in your Bibles, the second use of the word holy, it was in relationship to land or a place. Genesis chapter 8, uh, we still don't have screens, I'm sorry. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 16. I'll just paraphrase it for you. But this is the famous story of Jacob 
in his experience with God. He has this encounter with God that's absolutely amazing. So he's on the run. He's, he, things are not going well for this guy. He's, you know, his plans didn't work out. Do you ever feel like that? Like, I had all these, I had my life planned out. You know, I was going to do this, do this, and then I was going to retire. But, I mean, this, things don't work out. Things were not working out for Jacob. And he's on the run. He's, you know, he's just kind of a vagabond at the moment. And he falls asleep by himself on this rock. And then he has this powerful dream or vision. And, and he's got, the vision is heaven opens up. And angels are ascending and descending on these ladders. It's called Jacob's Ladder. And, you know, for those that are about my age, you know, remember the cartoons, the Bug Bunny cartoons of, you know, the, you know, the escalators of, you know, cartoon characters going up and down escalators. Well, that's, what, that's where it came from. So Jacob has this, this vision of heaven opening up. And at the top of, the, at top of the, the ladder's heaven, the Lord's talking down to Jacob, and he gives him these promises and the commands that his people are going to be a holy nation, and they're going to they're gonna bless the world. Okay, that's where this comes from. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. So we get the nation of Israel, Jews, all begins here with his vision. And when he comes to, when he wakes up, there is, a, there is an awareness that he did not have before. And he wakes up terrified. And the scripture comes across, he's whispering. He's like, oh, this is holy ground. And I didn't even recognize it. I had no idea that I fell asleep on holy ground. And he begins to define it. He says, this place is the gateway to heaven. And he names it Bethel. He does something else that's very interesting that a lot of us don't do. He builds a monument at that place. He, he, he gets the stone that he laid his head on and he, he makes, I don't know, he just stacks them up, standing stones. This place is the gateway to heaven. Why? Why is that important? It's important because he's committing this experience with God to memory and he's doing it with tangible objects. He's saying, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. I, I felt... The fear of the Lord. And when I say the fear of the Lord, this is that awe that takes your breath away where he can't even get his words out. He's got to whisper, this is holy ground. And so he builds this monument so he'll never forget it. A lot of us, me included, we've had experiences, religious experiences, if you want to call it that, where we've had God moments where God's broken through our lives in a certain area. God healed your body or your loved one's body. God did something absolutely miraculous, and we forget about it. We're so desensitized by this world and media and entertainment that the, the amazing things of God just don't entertain us anymore, and we never bother to make it a milestone in our life. We never ask the question, what does this miracle mean? We don't have the ability to recognize it or value it. But Jacob did. 
He says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to forget this. This was the day that God broke through. And it served him well. Because life didn't get easier after this moment. It got even harder for him. But he always made that connection that he touched the divine. That he was in a holy place. Same thing happens with Moses in the burning bush. Moses walks into this cave and the, you know, this bush lights up like a Christmas tree. And it, I, what am I, what's going on here? I'm, and he didn't realize it when he walked in and, and he didn't perceive what was going on and, the, and God had to talk to him. He said, son, don't you realize you're on holy ground? Take your shoes off, boy. There's no room for irreverence here. Now, of course, if everybody walked into our church barefooted, we might think that that might be irreverent, but I, I don't know. It's not the point. But um, the point is, is that both Jacob and Moses walked, into, walked on holy ground and didn't recognize it until God spoke to him, until God revealed himself to him. That happens. Sometimes God's got to rattle your cage, but that's not what we should be equipped to do or trained to do. God shouldn't have to rattle your cage. You should be trained up in such a way that you walk into God's presence and you recognize that he's there. It's all about perception. What you see when you walk into an environment. Are your eyes open? Again, I believe that this ground is hollowed ground. It's holy ground. When you came here, okay, were you just doing your church thing? Or did you say, I am, I am going, I'm, I'm stepping foot on holy ground here? Or was it just like, ah, I'm just not feeling church today, I'm just, but I got to do it, right? I'm just going to go to church. Well, if that's your attitude, then you're, you know, if you're just not feeling church today, if that's your perception, if that's how you see, you don't have a very good chance of seeing the holy, of touching it. All right, we'll talk more about perception in a minute. Next one, holiness is found in a people group. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Maybe I will. Holiness is, is found in a people group. Who are the holy people in the Old Testament? The Jews, the, the Israelites. The people set apart. They... they they lived a different life. They were, they were complete. They, they were weird. I don't know how else to say it. They did weird things. They, they had weird diets. You know, they dressed a certain way. They did things that just didn't make any sense at all because they were separated. They were holy. The whole people group, the whole, all the Israelites were considered holy people. They didn't act like it. But God saw them that way. So just like the land, just like the, the land of Israel, we have a people group, a large group of people that are holy, and then that even gets narrowed down to a very specific class or caste of people called the Levites from the tribe. And they're the priests. And so they're even holier. And just like, you know, if you want to relate that to how, to the city of Jerusalem, they would, you know, that goes there. And then even narrower down were the priests. They, could, they were the only ones that could walk into not only the holy place inside the temple, but the holy of the holies. And son, you better have your act together before you walk into there, or you might be getting dragged out by a rope. They, they tied a rope to these guys. 
They walked into the Holy Holies. And if they were not, if they didn't have their act together, they died in the presence of God. It wasn't like God was mean and killed them. They just, their bodies couldn't handle it. And so they had to get, you know, drugged out. Interesting. It would be interesting to see that. So the people, a people group, the word says uh, you will be a, a kingdom of priests in a holy nation, the priesthood of believers. And for Christians, as we move out of this Old Testament relationship, you are, like it or not, you're, you're a holy people. We call it the priesthood of believers. You're, you're a priest, whether you like it or not. I mean, if you've made that confession of Christ, and this is the area that, that this is your calling. God's called you into this, this area of, of, of being a priest, a priest of all believers. You don't need um, that one priest that communicates to God for everyone. You, you can do that now. You can communicate to God directly. That's pretty cool. So, a people group. I want to bring up perception again. And I want to talk about this area of how this people group is perceived. Okay, we all know how we perceive the nation of Israel, but how do people perceive you as a, as a group of people? This is why what Mako talked about last week is so important. Because if we don't have our act together as a people group, and if what people perceive is negative, that's on us. The scriptures are very clear on that. We're responsible for our own junk and how people perceive us. We got a, got a Yelp review last week, and I don't know, the guy said, they're just a bunch of Bible thumpers. Oh, okay. Uh, guilty as charged, whatever. I mean, but it's still, you know, that negative tone, his perception of us is, is negative. And maybe you can't deal with, you know, it would be worse if they said, that group of people, a bunch of gossips and backstabbers and so on and so forth. That would be even worse. So when you come into and do church and do fellowship, what's your perception of, of your people group? How do you perceive us? How do you perceive the group that you're a part of? Whether it's here, whether it's just, you know, uh, the Christian faith in general. That's a tough one, huh? Because we were perceived as being haters or were perceived as being narrow-minded, so on and so forth. That's, how, that's our, the perception of us. But how do, you, how do you perceive your own faith in your own faith community? I mean, beyond the four corners of this wall, how do you perceive being a follower of Christ inside a group of people? It's important. If it's like something that you're ashamed of, then you're just not going to get very far. All right. This is the one that I am most uncomfortable with, but it's in the Bible, so I've got to deal with it. Don't you hate that? I hate that. don't want to deal with it. Just... Uh, <laughs> I'm going, to do it, Tom, I'm going to pull a Thomas Jefferson and snip out the parts I don't like. Uh, all right. You ready for this one? Holiness can be found in an object. Weird. All right. Let me flesh this out. I'll tell you why I, I have such resistance 
towards this. I, I spent a good year of my life in Charleston, South Carolina, which was a very heavily populated uh, uh, voodoo community. And there was more voodoo going on in Charleston there was, than there is in New Orleans. New Orleans has like the, the tourist voodooism, voodooism. I don't even know if that's a real word. Uh, but Charleston has the real stuff. And uh, I ended up living in a community uh, where, the, where, the, it was, where the Gullahs were. The Gullahs were a, a, a people group from Africa that, that brought their religion, mixed it with, with, with some Christianity and some Catholicism, and they made voodoo. And uh, I, lived in, I, read, I, will, I lived in the basement of a church when I was there. And in my community, in my Gullah community, these folks freaked out that I was living in a church where dead people go. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. They, they were actually worried about me. And so they gave me all these kinds of charms and potions and, and talismans. And it's like they gave me all this stuff because they were concerned about my well-being, which was sweet, but it also kind of freaked me out. Because, like, I, I don't really want that chicken foot. You just give that back to your mama. And uh, uh, so, you know, they just said, they said, Josh, you got to put this, you got to put this, my mama, she put this uh, a spell on this, on this piece of straw, and you got to put it behind your ear, and then you got to say this, and that's going to keep all the, the hags and witches away from you at night. You can, you'll be okay tonight. I'm like, okay. So, so I, have a, I have a real adversity towards superstition. I hate it. I hate superstition. True story, I don't even open up fortune cookies. I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a silly little thing, I know, but I just, I just don't do the fortune cookie thing. I don't do the eight ball thing. Are you ready for this? I have major problems with blessed hankies and holy water from the Holy Land, from the Jordan. Just leave it, I don't want to deal with it. You just... Okay, maybe that works for you. Maybe it's not good for you, but I don't like it. That's a, maybe that's another conversation for another day, but I think my, my, my adversity towards these things is because it's definitely have been, has been abused. If you're paying $25 for a blessed hanky on television, you've got a problem. You are, you're addicted to superstition in the same way that people are addicted to voodoo. Don't buy that stuff. I almost said a bad word. Don't buy that stuff. It's not going to change your life. Uh, we have something better, and it's called the Holy Spirit. All right? All right. But I've got to flesh this out. It's in the Bible. Holiness can be seen in places. Yeah, we, maybe we can argue it's an Old Testament, New Testament thing. Definitely an Old Testament thing, okay? You, you're not going to be able to argue with me on that one. The two... Major objects that, that God's power worked through. First one was the tabernacle. What, what in the world is a tabernacle? A tabernacle uh, was this tent shrine, this portable tent shrine that Moses made that traveled around the desert. It, it functioned as a portable church, if you will. And it was holy. Every element of this tent shrine was holy all the way down from the leather straps to the nails the wooden beams the fabric 
And they, I mean, they took great care of every single element of it. And it was consecrated, set apart, and holy. And they erected it whenever God moved them somewhere. And inside of this tabernacle tent shrine thing, the Ark of the Covenant there, another object empowered by God, another object that was holy, crazy stuff happened where the presence of God was so powerful that it was visible. Clouds of smoke, pillars of fire, uh, light that just emanated from nothingness and cast no shadow. Uh, the, we, we, we call it Shekinah. It's not in your Bible. Uh, Hebrew scholars came up with this word to define the physical uh, manifestation of the presence of God. And uh, so, you know, with the, Reuben calls them the Shekinah glory lights. Whenever the lights go boom and blast, you know, that's, that's silly, never mind. But Shekinah is uh, closer related to uh, wisdom, actually. Sophia is the, is the relationship there. I don't have time to get into that. But the, the physical manifestation of the presence of God would, would, would show up in this, on this, around this object. Strange. And the, the tabernacle, this tent shrine, was also a forerunner of the temple in Israel. Okay, I would make the distinction. Holy ground, a building which is an object on top of holy ground. The temple was an object that housed the power, presence, Shekinah glory of God. Same type of stuff happened inside of Solomon's temple. Presence of God, the train of God, they call it. You could just see it, feel it, smell it. Strange things going on in Solomon's temple before they messed it up. The presence of God. Holiness being expressed. Okay? So, um, so we have these objects. What does that mean? All right, I'll play my hand. Tabernacle's forerunner of the temple. Temple is the forerunner of what? Not church. Nope, nope, not church, not Christ either. Nope. Ah, first service got it. Nope, it's you. You are now the temple. And you now hold and house or should hold and house the presence of God, Holy Spirit. You should have Shekinah in you. That's where I'll make my distinction. So, um, so keep, keep the holy water away from me. All right. Next point. Holiness is or can be or should be found in you. Right? I want, to get, I want to talk about perception again. How you perceive yourself is so key. Do you perceive yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Something that houses the Holy Spirit. All right? On an individual basis, married folks, do you perceive your spouse as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Or do you perceive your spouse as a nag? Or do you perceive your spouse as lazy? 
or do you perceive your spouse as annoying? Same thing with your kids. And this is, this is an important point, because how you perceive people could very well determine what the reality may be. Early developmental stuff in elementary school. There was a kid that, I don't know, he's kind of on the fence, whatever. I mean, is he a nerd? Is he a cool kid? I don't know. We don't know yet. Somewhere along the line, somebody labeled that kid as a nerd. And guess what? That's what he became. So there is power in your perception on how you see people. There's power in, your, in the perception on how you see yourself. And it's an, it's an important issue that we need to get our heads around. We doing okay? All right, let me get to the fun one. Last one. And this is more of a, a stronger definition of the actual word holiness. Holiness, your last point, holiness is, this, is, a, is a numinous state. A numinous meaning it's a, it's a divine, divine power. Holiness is, it's not an idea, it's not a, it's not a level of morality, it's not an abstract, well, if it is an abstract thing, this abstract thing is alive and active. And probably the best way that I can explain it is that holiness is charged. It has, a, it has a, an electrical current to it. It is a positive. Holy, holiness is... Holiness equals life. The, the life that God intended it to be. Holiness is an alive electric thing. And if you're around it, you should be able to feel it. You should be able to touch it. If you touch it, if you touch, the Bible says, if you touch what is holy, you will become holy. In the matter of objects, if, if, you, put a, if you touch a holy object to a holy thing, or uh, if you touch an unholy object to a holy thing, it can become holy. So you get around holy stuff, you begin to touch holy stuff, you will become holy. The holiness you can get this in your mind. Holiness is like electricity. Different than the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want you to, hopefully we can understand that. But it is this entity that is, that has this charge, right? All right. What's the contrast of holiness? You might say, well, unholiness or wickedness. And the way that I'm, that I'm reading these Old Testament passages on this, uh, not necessarily because things that are unholy Things that are wicked, they're nothing more than, uh, they're benign. There's actually no charge to them. They're, things that are unholy, they're just, they're just not holy. And there's not a whole lot of discussion about unholiness or unwickedness that comes up against holiness. The thing that comes up against holiness, it's, negative charge, if holiness is positive, the negative charge, I'll have to redefine that in a second because it doesn't fit theologically, but just for the sake of example, is impurity or uncleanliness. There's a great deal of time and attention to detail 
on the areas of uncleanliness or impurity. And it's very clear that things that are impure also have this charge, this negative charge. And when you move an impure person, an impure people group, an impure object, an impure land, and you mix it with holiness, that's where the sparks start to fly. That's where things start to, that's where things get explosive. This is where you see God's anger being expressed in the Old Testament. And you're not quite sure you understand the character of God because it seems like he's an angry, ticked-off guy. Well, what is going on is there's this holy realm that is being attacked by impurity. All right. Hang on to your sandals for a second. Impurity, things that are impure, doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinful or wicked. But impurity is this negative charge. Now, I can't say that they're equal. I can't say holiness and impurity are equal forces that butt up against each other because it's just not true. That's like yin-yang, and I just can't go there. But just for the sake of illustration, I, I went there. They're not equal forces. Not, one's not a positive and one not, is not a negative. One is a positive and one is a lesser negative. But impurity has the ability to taint what is holy. It has the ability to defile what is holy. And here's going to be the hard thing that you might not get at first, but Things that are impure, again, don't necessarily mean that they are sin. So if you go, if you want to, if you want to dig into this, look at, look at uh, uh, Numbers 19 and Leviticus 11. This is that stuff that you skipped over when we read the Bible from cover, from cover to cover because it's super boring and it doesn't make any sense. Okay? All these crazy laws, all these crazy food laws, you know, goes to this list of all these things that are impure. Here's the deal with the impure things. I'll ask you a question. A woman that just had a baby, is she in sin? No. Scripture tells us she's impure. A dead body, is that sin? No, everybody dies. But the dead body is the most impure object person on the planet as far as the scriptures go. You have to jump through more hoops to get clean from touching a dead body than anything else in scripture. There's some other things, but uh, I, I got to keep it PG, so we'll just leave it alone. Basically, anything that is in, now there's all kinds of you know, theories as to why all these laws. God made all these laws. Well, God made all these laws so for public health reasons and keep these people in line because if there were no laws and rules, they'd just do crazy things. It's possibly true, um, but what I believe and how I'm reading into it when I look at the laws, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in this, but all of these laws, including the food laws, they, they deal with 
areas of either death or sex. You can see why I want to keep this PG-13, right? But death and sex have a, have a relationship that is close. Uh, dig out your old psych books and read up on it. Um, but they're, they're in, you might, are you crazy, Josh? Sex and death, they don't, they don't go together. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, what about the whole vampire thing? Twilight, got sexy vampires all over the place that kill people. There's a relationship there, right? Let's go back to Halloween. It's the one year that you can dress up like a zombie prostitute and get away with it. Sex and death. So there's the relationship there with these laws. Even food. Uh, well, I'll leave that alone too. Okay. See why? Got to keep it PG. What's the point? What's the point to all this? Why, 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 why? I don't understand. I mean, why is a, you know, why is a menstruating woman who has not sinned unclean, but if she goes into, if she goes into the realm of the holy, she enters into sin? Doesn't seem fair, right? I could have boogers coming out of my nose and, and walk into the holy and, and I'm fine. I can, you know, again, it relates to these areas of, of, of sex and death. That's the, that's the short answer of it. And what God's intention was doing was making a people that were set apart, holy, consecrated. And it's a big deal. And what he's trying to get at is there needs to be a reverence and an awe of being in God's presence, of experiencing and touching the holy. It's so important to him that he is willing to make distinctions, very clear distinctions, to set a people apart so drastically that, they'll that, they, that they can't even mix in, in society, even though they were able to pull it off. Even when one of these systems broke down, the, the temple of God was the holiest place. It got defiled. It got destroyed. But these people group continued because they had these set of rules. They had the food laws that kept them separated from everybody else. You can't sit down and eat with, the, with an Orthodox Jew because, you know, they can't, their utensils can't touch meat and, you know, you can't have a cheeseburger, can't even have a bacon cheeseburger and you've got to fold. It's just craziness. The purpose was to keep them separated from the world. What does that mean for us? Because if you look at the Old Testament message, it seems like where God is making distinctions, and he is. I'm making a very clear distinction. Holy people, separated, consecrated, set apart. And that's it. They're my chosen. And then we have Jesus. We have Jesus who comes on, this, on the scene. And then it just changes everything. It actually accomplishes everything. 
all the crazy food laws and rituals and washings and all that kind of stuff, they go away because like the illustration of you being the temple, you now become the temple. You now become that holy place. You now become that priest. And what Jesus does is he takes something that is so exclusive, so distinct, and so narrow, and he puts that narrowness just on one thing, and that is himself. That's all, that's all you need. And once you get to myself, this whole relationship with God, this whole relationship with the divine, this whole relationship with being holy is opened up to everyone. Every ethnic group, every people group, there are no male, nor female, nor Jew, nor Greek. Everyone is on equal terms. And they all can be, they all can relate to the holy and touch it. It is no longer a distinct club. It is now inclusive of everyone that calls on the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the key right there. That's the key right there. All right, if I could have the band come on up to the front. And as they're on their way up, the laws and the systems and all this kind of stuff, maybe they don't apply anymore, but the spiritual principles do. God does want us to be like Jacob and Moses, and he wants us to have reverence for the land that we're sitting on. God does want us to perceive ourselves, each other, our people group as holy. God does want our time. Even though we don't fall under this law, even though we change the day from Saturday to Sunday, he does want our time. These are spiritual truths that I believe are eternal. But the thing that makes the law digestible is what Jesus brought in with grace. Law seems impossible. Grace seems easy. But in reality, grace is, is very hard. The Christian life is actually the whole idea of salvation and redemption, easy concepts for us to get intellectually, hard to live out, very hard to live out. Christian life, easy to understand, hard to live. But I can have the ushers come to the front. And as they're on their way up, I'm going to tell you what my motivation for church is. It's like what you guys, you know, what's your motivation? My motivation for church, for doing religious stuff, reading religious books, reading the Bible, I don't know. I am after the presence of God. I don't have to be up here sharing with you. Just as long as I'm in the room when God shows up. That's all I care. I just want to be in the room when God's here. Maybe it's because I've touched it and tasted it before. But that's all I want. 
that's my motivation for all of this. All the other things are great too, but that, I pray, is your motivation too. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this, this group of people that I see as holy. And I know a lot of them well. And I pray that you would forgive me for not seeing them as you do. God, may you just change my perspective of everyone. And I pray that you would just work that in our midst, God. That we will be able to, I don't know, get angry and have talks, but that won't ever change our perception of who we are in you, in Christ. God, I pray that as we, as we give back to you, God, that it, it, it won't be paying dues. It will be a supernatural sowing into something, into a kingdom, into a realm that's greater than, than us, beyond anything that we can see. But God, as I pray as we begin to sow back, God, I pray that you will begin to open our eyes so when we walk into the realms of the holy, we can recognize your presence there. God, when we walk into a place or we touch people, I pray that we would do so with reverence and not with a flippant attitude. That we can be like Jacob and go, oh, this is holy ground. I'm on one. I didn't even see it. So God, I pray that you give us those eyes to see your holy ground. Bless this offering. Amen.